Welcome to the podcast of The Open Door. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here at The Open Door Presbyterian Church here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My co-pastor, Cheryl Kellop, um, and I are getting to take a little break from preaching, which is really fun because we have four guest preachers all from within our, uh, within our church um, who are talking over the next few weeks about vocation. And this first sermon is by Dave Bindewald, a good friend and member of The Open Door. This is a, a kind of his sweet spot talking about vocation and um, Genesis 1 and kind of the vocation that we all have in common. Here we go. forward to the next couple of weeks talking about one of my most favorite things in the world, as Cheryl said, vocation and work and sort of what do we do with ourselves for most of ourselves, right? We're here for maybe an hour plus a week, so what about the rest of it? What about the other stuff? And uh, I find in my life and in my work that I just keep getting reaffirmed in this idea that I want to start us off with. Not just today, but for the whole four weeks. And that idea is this, that if you get the beginning right, you get everything else right. And it's a sort of silly slash profound thing to say out loud. Well, if you're going to start somewhere, the beginning is a good place to start. It's sort of obvious, right? But it's again and again and again in the jobs and work and life that I have had and have right now, it is remarkable, remarkable to the extent that we get the beginning of our big story right. The other things that fall into place correctly is just blowing me away at every turn. And visually, sort of what I mean is this, talk about this a lot in our play and exploration work, so some of you have heard this before. But if I am writing a story, and I'm going to tell a story that kind of looks like this and goes this way, and here's my characters, and here's the conflict they're going to go through, and I'm Bronte or someone or Mark Twain, and this is the kind of story I'm going to tell, and I have it kind of worked out, and then I write my story, and you sit down to read it, and in the first page or two, the first paragraph even, you misunderstand unintentionally. You didn't set out to hurt me or whatever, but you just miss something kind of important about the plot or about where we are in the story. And for example, you think instead of 18th century Arizona, we're in like 17th century Poland or something. Somehow you just miss that. And again, at the beginning of the story, no big deal. It's no big deal. You could be easily overcome, right? But... 10 pages later, 10 chapters later, 50 years later, if you can look really closely at the small trajectory that changes from this, watch really closely, to this. Did you see that? (laughs) It's almost imperceptible. But imagine 50 years from now, you're in a different story. You're reading a story that I didn't write. 
right? And that is what seems to be happening over and over and over again, a misunderstanding of the beginning of the story. And I just want to say specifically that the Christian story, uh, I want to just tell us, I want to start off big and just tell you what I think your vocation is. That if we get the beginning of this story right, we can look at each other and say confidently, I know what I'm here to do. And that's kind of a wild thing to say. So just to kind of get it out of the way, I want to suggest to you, I don't have a physical Bible with me, but the Christian story begins with the idea, with the truth, that right now you are in an inexplicably good place. That you are in a world that is so good, it's overwhelming. Now pause. Isn't that almost controversial to believe right now? You've been awake for a couple hours already, and it started again. The other story, another story, has been bombarding us. If you read a headline or a Twitter feed, or if you're alive or awake for a little while, you start to wonder, what kind of place am I in? But just to say it out loud and get the beginning right, your God and mine, if we are Christians, says, God, this is God's world, and it is not only good, but a certain kind of good. It's very good. It's good good. It's ridiculously good. It's forcefully good. It's unnecessarily good. And maybe that's what this series or this time of formation in your life the next couple of weeks, maybe it's just going to be on that idea. Practicing the spiritual discipline of believing that God is good and made a good world and that it's still good. Because after a amount of time, if you live long enough, it starts to get beaten out of us, doesn't it? What used to be good, but not anymore. It's hopelessly lost. And there'll be seasons, whole seasons of our lives that we believe that. And that's okay. It's okay. Because if we get the beginning right, it's so good that it's indestructible. So first things first, that the world that we live in right now is this unspeakably, unbelievably good place. But even better than that, to any kind of Christian thinking or practice around work or jobs or vocation is the so what? So what? What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with me and with you? And again, if we get the beginning right, we get work right, or at least more right. We get vocation right, or at least more right. And right on the first page of our scripture. I don't know if we have the passage up there in the slide. Hold up. How about that? How convenient. <laughs> right on the first page of the Christian story is the, I'm suggesting, answer to the so what question about a Christian idea of so God, remember, places us in this unbelievably good, good world and says to men and women, says to Adam and Eve, let us make human beings in our image. Let's make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. God created them godlike, 
reflecting God's nature. God created them male and female. Here it comes. I remember where I was the first time someone tempted me with what this might be. God blessed them and said, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Fill the earth. So if you're like me and you grew up in our faith or in a church somewhere, this got shrunk down to have sex and babies. <laughs> and for like 45 minutes, people were like, all right, yes, so good. And then, oh no, <laughs> that's all there is. Fill the earth, reproduce. Okay, great, make more of yourself. And then it says again, fill the earth. And for the sake of time, and I hope this is a wedding of an appetite for you as it was for me, but I want to say maybe the most exciting slash controversial thing to you that I've ever heard, and it changed my life, and it's why I'm still a Christian, by the way. And it turns out that the overwhelming majority of the goodness with which God made the world and filled the world is hidden from us. It's not obvious. And if you don't believe me, look around. God didn't make this, or this, or this, or that, or the technology running it. None of it. God made the potential for those things. God, your good parent and mine, made lots of really interesting, fascinating things and hid them from us and then says go find it that is such interesting good news to me that i have to remind myself every day and i do this battle every day to even think it's possibly true how could that be true and that that my friends brothers and sisters boys and girls is your vocation i'm going to say it really clear i think if we get the beginning of this story right your vocation, your job and mine, is to explore the hidden goodness of the world that God put there, to cultivate it, to call it forth, to unlock its potential to the glory of God and the flourishing of people everywhere. And that's all. You don't, if you're wondering what your calling is, and we're getting the beginning of the story right, we may have just solved it. Your job and mine is to go to a part of the creation, maybe your favorite, or maybe just something you're interested in, and start to explore its potential, to steward it and cultivate it, help it reproduce and produce and curate it somehow, that the hidden potential that God filled it with, with which God filled it, starts to come out. And I have to warn you here that if you start doing this, I can't guarantee your safety. <laughs> because this is true. Try it if you don't believe me. If you start tampering, messing with, childlikely playing with a part of the creation, it will start to explode in your hands. 
I promise. It's never not happened in seven years of trying. And I am working through in front of you the possibility that that is the sum total meaning of human work and existence, if we get to the beginning right. Exploring God's hidden potential everywhere, the goodness that God made everywhere, unlocking it wherever you want to start for the glory of God, God and the flourishing of people in you. If that's your marching orders and mine, and then you get to choose where would you like to do that, rather than, well, then we'll get into uh, what happens if you miss the beginning of the story, right? So remember the, the trajectory the shift? There's a couple of things that start to happen there, as you, I don't have to tell you this, and one of the things as we were thinking about this series that I personally have become so thankful for is that I'm talking to folks that have thought about this and, and heard this before. So I hope that this is just sort of a wonderful reminder of the most true things of the world rather than a, oh my gosh, brand new idea, an encouragement to get back to it rather than uh, something else. So the first thing that starts to happen when we miss the beginning of this, this understanding of work and creation, most commonly what happens is you start to think about the world as good things and bad things, right? Rather than, again, we're gonna keep self-correcting, hopefully for the rest of eternity, but especially today. Wait, wait, no, there's not good stuff that God made and everything else. Everything is God's and is infected with this evil that we all feel. And I can't tell you how helpful that's been to me and I suggest it to all of us to help self-correct with all this. And you know this story, you've heard it, and probably experienced it yourselves, if not seen it in other people's lives. This is why uh, when bands like you 2 a formative uh, artist in my journey, uh, they were teenagers and they thought, you know, I think we'd like to play rock and roll. I think we kind of like to do that. It's amazing and it's wonderful and it changes things. But they were part of a church and someone in charge said, Oh, no, you can't do that, because that's not good work. It's not spiritual, you know, the line. I don't need to fill this in for you. How is that saving souls, or how does that, how is that worship? And they're like, they were 17 and 18 years old, and they thought, well, I guess they're right, but let's go have a little retreat and think about it for a while. So the four of them went off on their own, fasted and prayed, and did all the spiritual things they're supposed to do, and fascinatingly, and for my own sake, thanks be to God, came back and the edge said, there's no contradiction. There's no problem with this. And they went around the room and Larry said, yeah, let's do it. And Bono said, I'm in. Bono said, uh, every part of creation screams the creator's name. You don't need a sign. Isn't that fascinating? like an artistic mind thinks about that. And Adam's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So there's not good stuff and bad stuff. There's all this stuff that we can do in redemptive, holistic, changing ways. It makes me think too about uh, the Salvation Army. Remember the Salvation Army? Well, before they were known for their bands and their music and their parades and such, they were just doing their ministry before this. And the director or founder of the Salvation Army, when they decided to start the band, said, we want to do this because why should the devil have all the good music? And you're like, you see how it works? There's a little bit of like, okay, yeah, so we said devil, we don't want to do that, and there's evil, and 
there's, you know, well, yeah, so just enough to convince people. Self-correction. There's, I'm not sure there's such a thing anymore as something purely evil. It's only God's good stuff that has been broken. And again, I have wonderful news that in our God's world and economy, when things break, they are not thrown away. They're redeemed and they're restored. So rather than thinking about good music and bad music, good art and bad art, we know this, I'm just saying it out loud to myself more than anything else, to remind myself of the goodness and truth of this story and get the beginning right. There's music that on some kind of spectrum is either really, really close or getting closer to how God made it to work and function and redeem and restore, and that's not doing that so well. And again, you see what you're allowed to do there is instead of like screaming satanic death metal over here and church music over here, it's like, well, that's actually kind of bad music. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. And the creator says, yes. <laughs> What's the difference between uh, hitting something in rhythm and Rachmaninoff's third symphony? It's this. The potential being unlocked. This really came home to me, too. I don't think Kate's in here, but I've, I've said this, I've told this story to some of you before. When the girls were younger, we were doing that thing when you go around the table, and what do you want to be when you grow up? You know? And some of these ideas were just starting to marinate and, and form in me or go deeper. And so you know, Ella said something like, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a vet. I want to like heal and restore. I said, okay, good, yeah, that like I can see how that fits in. I want to be a vet, veterinarian. Lucy, come on, little Lucy. And Lucy's like, I want to be a chef. I want to cook and I'm just going to say this, I heard, unlock the potential of ingredients for the goodness and flourishing and feeding the people everywhere. It's probably a good, good. And Kate was about this big at the time. And I wasn't even really honestly bad parenting. I wasn't even going to ask her. She's like, she doesn't understand the words coming out of my mouth. And she's looking at me like impatient, like, let's go. I'm next, right? And I said, oh, well, honey, Kate, um, when you get big, and she's looking at me like, <laughs> when you get bigger and want to do something and you're like, what would you, and she said, I want to be a bad guy. <laughs> and I said, I, I don't think, I'm not sure you want, she said, no, no, I want to uh, scare people and attack them. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's exactly, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Go ahead. So you kind of walk away ashamed as a parent. What have I done wrong? <laughs> but then I started thinking about this. And then I also, more recently, I started thinking about those of you that write stories. Or people in art or music or when they're creating a story. And I was like, what makes a good bad guy? And how do I faithfully, how do, how do you that write stories, how, what makes that part of the story really good? Like Baron Messiah, you know about that. What? a villain and can a villain be saved and how bad are they and how deep and you see the nuance and the complexity in the and you're off and running good stuff versus bad stuff is one of the easiest quickest ways that this breaks down to and you know this too so therefore there's only two or three jobs that a christian can have right church missionary pastor and then there's everything else. And if you're in the everything else, really, you're only uh, 
help to the cause here is you give your money to the people that are doing the important work. And you can just see, and maybe you've experienced this, the crestfallen. Like, oh no, I, was, I enjoyed that, I liked that. But early on, if we get the beginning wrong, we are categorically dismissing entire swaths of the creation and people. What you do is not interesting and doesn't matter and doesn't serve any kind of helpful purpose at all. You're welcome. You see, see people walk out. But here's the fascinatingly, wonderfully good news. The people that walk out like that, they don't stay that way. They figure it out eventually anyways, but outside of the church. They just, this is just true. And I have had countless conversations with folks through the Center for Play and Exploration where we'll be at a restaurant eating their food because it's so good. And someone will walk by the dining room where we are, no excessive goodness and unlocking the potential, the creation and all the taste buds and the savory and how did it, this should be a Michelin star and all that. And sometimes the person will come in almost angry, the chef. What are you doing here? They say. What are you talking about? And it's a little awkward at first, but we've gotten used to it. And so someone will say, well, you know, we, uh, we just, we have really come late to this party. And we think that what you're doing here is spectacular and delicious. And how did you think to do this? And where do you go from here? And wow, have you ever talked to them? And, and we also, we need to confess, uh, we just think God is tickled with what you have done here. And sometimes the people start to weep. And they say to us, I know. <laughs> we look at them and they're like, I know that. But I went to church and they told me I couldn't do this. So I left. But did they really, right? Whose God is the true God actually? If we get the beginning right, all those lines start to delightfully blur and work and vocation starts to will change and expand. Real quickly too, the other thing that starts to happen is you can probably imagine is that you read the rest of the story through a misread beginning, right? So for example, uh, the Tower of Babel becomes a juggernaut ziggurat thing to self hubris and pride and arrogance and God comes and smites that and makes them run away from each other, rather than, if you get the beginning right, there's some of that going on for sure. But one of the main disobediences and sins of the Tower of Babel becomes, you're not making enough culture here. This is called the cultural mandate. A command to make culture. Isn't that fantastic? That's wonderful. And God's saying to the people at Babel, I love the it's nice work on the tower. Your motivation is a little suspect here. But there's a whole cosmos that I made for your exploration and cultivation. And if you don't get out there, I'm kind of worried about how that's going to be cultivated and curated and unlocked. So literally, you know, how literal the story is, you're not injecting culture and diversity into so that the now where we're going to get back to. See how like the whole lens starts to, to change. 
And lastly, and perhaps the most devastating, as we hinted at before, is that if we miss this part at the beginning, you and I are told if you don't have one of those two jobs, your work is meaningless. You are not helpful. It's not important. And just letting that sink in for a minute. The entire, the entirety, the swath, the enormity of what gets left out by missing the beginning of this story. That if you uh, are an engineer, you know, that stuff that you make, actually, it's, it's all going to burn. And it's not really helpful. And how much do you make and where are you tithing that? And at least you can kind of redeem it somewhere, somehow. That teacher, yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe if you teach at a Christian school, you see where this goes, right? You see where it goes. And it's 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 interesting too to hear people try to drill down too into things like parenting, right? It's like, well, they're actually like raising small human beings in the future of the planet and all that, but there's a very specific way to do it. And actually, at the end of the day, ways to try to get the poop in the potty is not terribly important. <laughs> Instead of, which with each of those vocations, I'm looking at engineers and teachers and medical professionals and scientists and astrophysicists and students, and the world starts to expand back to what it should be to the extent that we get this right. And can you imagine with me and pray with me and hope with me Using Dave's skill of imagination, maybe again, can we even picture what the creation would start to look like if we took this cultural mandate seriously? That sustainable farming and time travel and sexuality and parenting and engineering and architecture and sports took their rightful place again as part of God's good creation. And that healthcare and sociology and music and the culinary arts started to be important again. And here's the thing if we have the beginning right, we almost don't have to wonder what that would look like. The world would start to become what it's supposed to be, the creation would start to respond to us. Because we are the image of God. We are the cultural mandate. We are the unlockers of the creation's potential. My job and yours is exploring hidden goodness and cultivating potential wherever I happen to be. So think now where you happen to be right now when you leave this place in Monday through Friday, whatever it is you're going to do, and your job description was self-corrected to the cultural mandate. And you had your churches and your heavenly fathers and your community's permission behind you, then what would start to happen? At the end of, near the end of the story, remember this verse in Romans when Paul says the creation is growing. Remember this? And if you have the beginning of the story wrong, you automatically assume that it's groaning with your own filth and how wicked you are. And that's a little bit true, 
and a little bit in there, and he says it a couple of different ways to cover all the different ways that we in the creation are growing. But in the middle of chapter 8, he specifically says the creation is groaning in labor pains. And with the cultural mandate in the beginning out of place, that's just very strange. And, oh, but probably some souls that need to be birthed or something. Rather than the creation has not stopped being this ridiculously good place full of potential that has been trying to deliver since the fall. And all it needs are midwives. Remember your original job description, Paul saying to them, the creation is groaning. It has potential. It has life inside of it and always has and always will. And it is waiting for you and I to go cultivate it, to help it deliver in a really powerful image. Midwives. Creation is groaning and is looking for a midwife. I want to close with this quote that was formational and transformational for me from a book called Rainbows for the Fallen World. And the title, What's the Appetite Alone, doesn't it? Rainbows for the Fallen World by Cal Searbell. And I love how he says this. The creation of God is unfinished. It is waiting. All its various meanings waiting there to be unleashed in a new chorus of praise for the Lord. This is our human call. And may we two-legged folks not be found wanting. The creation is unfinished. It is waiting with the potential with which God packed it at the beginning of time. And education is waiting for you on Monday morning. There is potential and goodness untapped in your classroom that you don't even know is there. And I think and I suggest that that's delightful. Building materials, construction, design, untapped goodness waiting for you on Monday morning. How to get it out, how to make it beautiful. In the hospital and in your living room, how to get that poop in the potty. <laughs> what are all the ways we can get that to happen? Music, engineering, science, students. The world is like that. The most true thing about the world, if we get the beginning right, is its goodness. And the most important thing about that goodness is its hiddenness, its embeddedness. And my friends, we have been called to go, go get it, go unlock it, cultivate it for the flourishing of people and the creation everywhere. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for uh, listening in today. Please uh, come check out the Open Door Church, 10.30 every Sunday at the Neighborhood Academy in the Stanton Heights neighborhood. Our website's pghopendoor.net. Um, if you can't make it out, just take a listen each week. We'll be uh, putting the podcast out uh, as we get into this idea of God's vocation for our lives, different vocations 
and one and the same to serve God by uh, revealing God's goodness in creation. All right, have a great week.